Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. I want to talk about some of the flying you have done, mister. I push training so hard. I, I look like Magic Mike. It's like Shanger Law, Joe Rogan. And, and what does he say about Chucky Wright? And I, I want to hop on that. You're my nominee for the first person to fly over Mount Everest into the North Pole. Oh, it's a tempting state. It's a tempting community, tempting city. What dating apps does he use? I just slid it out for like 100 feet. Got a lot of layers. I Hey man, it's making this weird sound. Things are breaking down. I will break, I have no issue breaking world record. I'm pretty comfortable doing it. Freaking fly. Um, what's this? This was funny. My daughter, Addie, she sends me this post. It says, Brooklyn thinks you look like John Mayer. Is it John Mayer? John Mayer. I don't look like John Mayer, do I? I don't think so. So we were on our way to Philadelphia. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? Nah, New York, but nowhere near. No, not Philadelphia. Are you a fan of the Rocky series? The Rocky yeah, movie? yeah. So we had a lacrosse tournament we had to go to this past weekend in, in, uh, outside of Baltimore. So we, we went 40 minutes out of the way, went to Philadelphia, ran the steps, the art museum steps like Rocky. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, took pictures with the statue of Rocky. So that's and it, I, that's the third time I did that. I did it when I was a really little kid, and I did it uh, a couple of years ago with my father-in-law, and then with her. And that never gets old. You always get the chills, and you're running up the steps. And the way that it you know connects with you after watching that movie, especially when you did it at a younger age, it was probably more relevant. When did the movie come out? Like eighties? No, that came out six. First Rocky, seventy-six. Seventy-six. Rocky three was like eighty-two. Okay. Yeah. So. So I am here with, oh, and this is funny. So we're, we're, you know, I had told you before, I said, I really haven't seen many of your videos. Yeah. When he's just tuning in, I'm on with Chucky Wright. And uh, so when I was finishing our Paramotor Nation is when this name Chucky Wright and this guy is doing all these things and killing our, our LZs and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, I just don't want to hear about it. I, I, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to do anything but just fly. I don't care. So I really had to catch up a little bit on uh, some of your videos. So while we're driving, I had the videos playing. Addie was watching them. I was just listening. And uh, she says, he looks a little like Clark Kent. And with the glasses off, he looks <laughs> like Superman. I'm like, okay, all right, that's cool. I see that a little bit. And said, so when he flies. And he's got muscles, too. So got it a couple times in my life. More <laughs> is... Uh, what I'm learning about you is that there's a lot of layers to you. Okay. It's like, like who is it? Shrek. I got a lot of layers. I can't do it. It's Shrek. <laughs> it was horrible. I got a lot of layers. Yeah. So you've got a lot of layers to you. 
Um, and I think perception from people in the paramotoring community over the last couple of years has been a negative perception. Do you agree? For sure. Okay. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, just like I said, you know, in the, the first episode is that I want people to get, I want my listeners to get to know who I'm interviewing. I want them to be able to come up to them, whether they see them in the street or they see them at a flying and feel like they already know them. It's the good. Of them. So you know, this is a great opportunity to really talk about some of the decisions that you've made. If you think they were good decisions, if they were bad decisions. And like I told you before, and I said this in the first episode too, is with all my guests, we're going to agree to disagree. And that doesn't mean that's a bad thing because if all of us could learn to get along with the people we disagree with, this world would be a much better place. Well, for sure. We're going to have different opinions, different beliefs on everything. And I have no issue accepting someone else's opinion. That's fine. Absolutely. I mean, there's people who believe differently than things that you believe in. I'm, you know, like you, I have a very strong faith belief. Yeah. And there's people that think I'm ridiculous for that. And that's okay. And they can believe whatever they want. Here to, I'm not here to judge them, right? It's their, that's the, that's whatever their calling is. There's things out there, perception, and we'll talk about that. But uh, before we go into all the paramotoring stuff, oh, I do have a funny story. Rocket, go ahead. And, and you were a part of this story. So this last bad apples flying, I'm hanging out with my buddy Rick Davies, PPG Gorilla, and he's like, you know what, Chucky Wright is here, and he's been. He's been, I've been getting so many phone calls about him and, and we're getting losses of, of LZs or LZs threatened because I'm like, I'm going to give him a piece of mind. I'm like, yeah, let's go kick the shit out of this guy. I'm just egging him. <laughs> so I don't remember what night it was. The second night. It was Friday. Friday. Actually, no, Thursday I got there. I think I flew Thursday afternoon and that was when he approached me after my first flight. So I'm out there on the LZ. I'm wearing my sexy yellow air boss shirt i've got these sexy uh glow in the dark orange batons in my hand trying to direct tech. like I, I look like magic mike yeah and i see rick look like a bull heading your way i'm like i don't even know who he was going to i'm like oh something's happening so i run over there and i see this and i see him he's 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 giving you a piece of, of your mind and you're sitting there like uh, can i just unclip on my glider and at first i'm like rick's gonna kick his ass. and then i looked at you and i'm looking at your muscles i'm like let's see this happen <laughs> my money's chucky i think he's gonna kick his ass this is awesome let's do <laughs> the thing that impressed me and really impressed rick was about an hour or two later you came over to uh to our area on the other side of the field and said hey man let's just talk this out let's shake hands let's just let's have it and he i know he said to me he goes i really have a lot of respect for chucky after that so that's awesome yeah that's 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 the kind of communication we want yeah, to see. I told him when he approached me in the field, I was like, listen, like, let me, let me get, it's about the pour. Remember that storm was coming in? I'm like, dude, it's about the storm. Let me get my gear underneath the thing. I'll meet you over there and I'll come, I'll come talk to you because I need to and I have to because it's been going on for too long. So anyways, you saw it, we talked and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. All right. We'll get to more of the pyramid yeah, stuff. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about you. Let's have some, some more fun. So in, a, in any interview, you know, if I've seen someone been interviewed before, I try not to talk about stuff that has been, but I'd rather just recap. But so Chucky is from Detroit originally, correct? I was born in Miami, first 10 years of my life. Oh, I didn't know that. And then Michigan in the last 16 years. So like Roseville, 30 miles south of Detroit, a little island. What took you to Detroit of all places? I mean, Miami was a dangerous place to raise a family. Both my parents were, you know, held at gunpoint at one point in time back in the 70s and 80s. So like, and Detroit's better? 
No, we were in Detroit. We're seven, we're thirty miles. We're on like a private island that's got two bridges that go to it. Like it's it's like Shanger Law, they call it over in Grozio. It's like a it's private resorted okay. island. So so why did you leave Detroit? Uh we have we never oh why did I leave uh Michigan? I came down here for the job opportunity actually to start selling private jets. So I dropped everything, quit and came to Sarasota. How did you get a job like that? So um, someone who I was in a relationship with, her cousin, I got in touch with him. Me and him started talking, blah, blah, blah. He knew that I used to flip stuff. I buy and sell things all the time. I've constantly done that for like the last eight years, as long as I can remember. Um, I've been very successful at doing so. And when we talked for like two hours at a little family event, he's like, come down here, come check it out. Um, so long story short, I came down there for a day, mentored him, kind of shadowed him for like eight hours. I was a lot to take in. He's like, if you want to do this, you have to move down to Florida and kind of leave everything behind in Michigan. You don't have very much time to make the decision. I said, okay, I've only been here for 16 years, but like by all means, sure, I'll take the opportunity because what you're telling me is actually true. Then I have to, I have no choice. Right. So three weeks go by, he texts me. He's like, you have about a week to make the decision. I said, okay, that's fine. So I got my house up for rent. I moved all my stuff into my van, got a trailer, drove down. I ended up having a buddy that moved out at the same time. We lived with his parents in a little trailer park. I lived in a tiny like room with a couch for the first month. Living with my clothes out of my van, I didn't even care. My paramour was back there. All my stuff was back there. I roughed it. And then we lived with like his mother-in-law for two months, another roughing it. Like we roughed it for the first four months, but I didn't care because it just didn't matter. Still gym every morning, shower, work, fly after, make content, and then run. Like that was my everyday. I didn't care. So, and that's how, that's how, it, that's how it transgressed. I'm selling private jets, but I'm living in on a couch. I don't even get a bed in a trailer. I have to sleep on a couch, but I'm selling these private jets. Everything is great. That's all. I'm frugal, man. I don't like, like, at that point in time, like, I didn't have a pot. I didn't, I probably truthfully only had like a thousand dollars to my name. Wow. Saved. I had a lot of assets, but I, I never was a, the greatest saver like I am now. And yeah, I was, yeah, I was very, I was very thankful. I busted my ass. I worked like 70 hours a week and I stayed after everyone had left and I came in before everyone was there. I was, I was just it for a year straight. And you've been doing that for how long now? I did that for a year and I quit in November. Literally was there for a year and like two months. And I was like, I'm not happy with the commission split. So I left. Really? What are you doing now? Same thing. <laughs> Just a different company. Same thing. No, my own company. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So like I'm my own boss. I'm hiring two kids in November that are coming out of Arizona. And uh, I got a place up at the Sarasota airport, hangar, offices, all that stuff now. So wheat. That is awesome. So be cool. So, uh, Anybody can find your YouTube channel. Just yeah. Put in your name. Yeah. I had another anonymous question that said, okay, uh, it said, uh, David, please ask. I, I, I have his YouTube channel. What dating apps does he use? I don't, that's a very weird question. <laughs> I mean, I used Hinge for a while. Like, that, that was the extent of it. Like, I, I met girls on there. I mean, mostly Instagram. Girls are must be on Instagram and stuff like that because I have kind of interesting Instagram, all my activities and stuff. They're curious. But other than that, like I didn't really dedicate much time to women. Like I didn't care to put that energy towards that. I was more or less focused on my stuff. Yeah, it's so bad being mid twenties, bodybuilder body, uh, extreme sports, owns his own company, and uh, the Bachelor. It's in in Sarasota, Florida, nonetheless. You're yeah, yeah. No, it's a tempting state. It's a tempting community, tempting city. But I like uh, just keep my head forward and like you poor bastard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I should be enjoying it more at this age like but you know what i'm I'm focusing on my goals more or less than women okay all right that's cool that's so you do a lot of extreme sports i've heard that you know yeah motor yes so run through them real quick 
you know, I don't want to talk about all of them, but there's one. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, so I started off young age. Um, skateboarding was a, a big one that I've committed to for a long time. Probably still to this day, one of the hardest sports. Um, rock climbing, free diving. I've gotten really, um, really big into that for the last five, six years. So I'm pretty competitive with free diving. Um, scuba diving, uh, wakeboarding, wake skating, any board sports, snowboarding I'm obsessed with. Um, trying to think, man, dirt, uh, motocross, uh, triathlons, running, strength training, Olympic weightlifting, uh, CrossFit, Ninja Warrior. I did that. It's pretty, were you on the show? I was on, so I, I, I qualified, but, um, so I qualified to continue to go and then I ended up effing up my shoulder. Oh, gotta continue with it, but yes, I was technically on the TV show where they filmed. I was in the street with people in the crowd watching, but they didn't publish my stuff. Yeah. This was like this was like five years ago. But yeah, like yeah, I was I was technically on the show, but I wasn't on the show. But yes, I was invited to the event. I was there, and I performed on the course, and I completed it. Awesome, dude! Very cool. I'm trying to think what other other sports. I mean, I don't really care fishing. I mean, I do all the extreme sports. though, man, like anything you could possibly think of. I really like physical endurance. Um, like I like competitive nature. I wrestled, um, I played football. You said that you were three time state champion, right? In Michigan. That's crazy. That's crazy. Wrestling was my, my forte. Unfortunately, you can't do anything with wrestling after you leave. Well, you could go into the UFC or the WWE. I I value this. (laughs) I value this, man. I don't want to getting beat up. Speaking of UFC, we talked this before. So Mike, my boys remember I would we would watch every episode of Fear Factor, Joe Rogan. And of course, Joe Rogan went on to be a commentator for the UFC. And now he's got his own podcast, which is one of the biggest podcasts in the world. It and is the biggest. And what does he say about Chucky Wright? I don't know, something about being a dork, I think. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Dweeb takes his paramotor or whatever, something like that. Dork or dweeb or something like that. I know something like that. So, yeah, that's when you flew to 17,500 feet above ground. So you can look, you know, I said before, perception is everything. And you can look at that in two ways. You can look at it like, oh, my gosh, he's making us look dangerous. This is bad. Or you could say, if, if you're someone that sells paramotor equipment, look at how much exposure he's giving to us. This is great. My phone's going to be ringing off the hook. Everybody's going to want to be able to. So, again, you know, it's just half Glass half empty, glass half full. I don't know. I, there has been probably 250 people on Instagram or Facebook or that have got my email that have messaged me, sent me pictures and videos of their first flights. At least 100 of them have gotten into the sport just from that video. 100. And that's a lot in the paramotor. That's awesome. Like literally a kid today just messaged or uh, commented on one of my YouTube videos. He's like, I'm starting class at Aviator and I'm going to have my first flight 8-1-2023. And I'm like, Dude, I'm so stoked. Personally, send me the video of you on your first flight. I'm really excited for you. That's great, man. Like, I'm so excited to see people just getting out there and actually being able to enjoy the sport and doing it the correct way. Like, everywhere I go, I meet someone that wants to get into it. And I and I do always, like, I push training so hard, and it's so hard to do it because they're like, oh, where did you go for training? And I'm like, oh, I did it. But, like, right. don't do what I did because I'm a rule to the exception. Like, I could have died so easily. I'm so glad you asked that because I, I don't have much written down or notes here, but I wanted to say to you, if you go back three, four years ago and talk to little Chucky, little Chucky, right? Yeah. Yang, Chucky, go get instruction or, and you did it fine. Just do it that way. What would you say now after all the things that have happened for you? Looking back, I think, I think there's, there's obviously an exception to the rule of actually telling myself, yes, it would have been beneficial to get training. Of course, why would it not? Why getting? Why not getting information from someone else? But now that I've learned from so many people, talked to so many people in the community, even at Bad Apples this last time, 
I've had a lot of people that went and got training from instructors. Right. I'm not going to say any names, but there's people that literally went out there and they couldn't even fly. They could teach people how to kite and ground handle and all that kind of stuff. But me looking back to my younger self to answer your question, no, I would still not take training. Wow. I think the, the journey of doing it on my own was special in itself. I think it made me respect it more. It made me fear it more. And I think the amount of studying I had to do on my own before I got up in the air versus if someone was teaching me something, I wouldn't have paid attention to the curriculum as much as I still should have. I, as I progressed, I was like, oh, let's just push the envelope, whatever. It's unregulated sport. Like, obviously, I took a lot of that for granted. But um, I think I wish I would have learned airspaces and stuff of that sort of a little bit more flying wise. No, I, I love the journey of learning that on my own. Being self-taught, I think to this day still, I appreciate myself being able to physically teach myself how to use something that would take someone about a week, week and a half to learn how to do correctly. But there are things, and again, I'm not a, a trainer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But there are things that I know trainers can see that you can't see. Like they can look at your trailing edge as you're flying and know exactly what you're doing and tell you, Hey, no, don't make that input. Oh, for sure. And a new a new pilot who doesn't know what they does they don't know is going to wreck a lot more and cost themselves more than they would have otherwise if they could have gone to the training and paid that money up front and done it right and not risk getting hurt. True. And I think my version of training was 30, 40, 50 hours of YouTube videos watching whether it be the worst trainers or the best trainers talk about how they fly and everything of that sort. Like whether it be Tucker, whether it be Kurt, whether it be Aviator, whether it be Trevor, whether it be Judson, whether it be any of those guys on how they fly and what they're doing. And I'm, I, I'm very, I do a lot of, um, a lot of like, what do you want to call it? Motorsport stuff. So like adapting to a different kind of motorsport, obviously flying is way different than most things, but flying a plane, flying all that kind of stuff, understanding the leading edge, how things collapse, reading up on it. I understood it enough to be respectful of the sport or like, I didn't do anything crazy. All I did was cruise, take off and land like an old 65, seven year old pilot would do just go fly. Mm -hmm. So none of it was acro. None of it was any of the crazy stuff. I checked the weathers, made sure it was all under 10 miles an hour. Like I put myself in the best situation possible most of the time. You mentioned some people in there. Kurt's one of them who I watched a lot of his stuff. And I mentioned that the first episode and then I went and trained with them and I, I wish I never did. I, yeah, I can care less. I, looking back now, but I didn't know, I didn't know anybody in the computer. I didn't know who a soul was. Like, it's just me just fresh in there. Like, oh, okay, well, this guy talks with the character, um, talk a bit about people. I don't really care for that. And he sells his product way too hard. Like Dell, like obviously uh, joke, right? In my eyes, complete joke. Like he's had a, he has a video on me talking about me. Like he, he talked about other people to get people to watch this stuff, to go ahead and buy his equipment. You're right. hundred percent. Right. Um, so I want to go back and talk about the extreme sports. Cause you mentioned one and I'm like, crazy deep water dive, deep water diving free diving free diving okay so how long can you hold your breath longest ever was 416 sane it's nothing though in the world of free diving it's kind of a baseline well why do that when you can take a perfectly good snorkel or or, or, or a scuba dive down why, why do it because i'll give you i'll just break down to three reasons movement right so the amount of gear i have to take with me everywhere i go i take fins i take a mask that's it Weighs like five pounds total. I'm out. Or not even, like three pounds. Um, movability while underwater. I can go down. I can go through tight spaces. I can move a lot quicker. I can see a lot more. I don't have to decompress. I don't have to do any of those things. Um, three, the freedom. Like you go down there, you're not hearing this stupid regulator constantly the entire time. You can close your eyes. You can relax. Like when you have two, three minutes underwater, it's the most wild thing, man. Honestly, it feels like you're outer space underwater, especially when you're like 100, 110 feet underwater and it's dark. It's it's a weird feeling, man. Somewhere across America, many, many paragliding listeners are saying, 
that's why I paraglide instead of fly a paramotor. Yeah, for sure. It's the same thing. You ever think about how that relates to one another? A hundred percent. It's crazy. Scuba is paramotoring, freediving is paragliding. We just uh, recently looked into, now we're in Ohio, okay? Yeah. But we're thinking about uh, sometime we might move down to Tampa and we're going to be flying together quite a bit, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. My daughter wants to go into marine biology and so we're talking about taking scuba diving lessons. So that's another thing on our radar to do down the road. So with all this stuff, I wanted to ask you this. You do a lot of extreme sports. You've done some extreme stuff in flying already, okay? That's someone that's only been flying for three years, four years, would never have done, but you're you're the exception to that. Uh, I interviewed once Woody Gamertag, Matt Woodworth, and he said to me, you know, flying acro is an obsession for him. He said he could not imagine living if he could not do this. Yes. Do you feel like Chucky Wright doesn't have several gears. He has one gear and it's extreme all the time. Or is there things that you don't, I don't need to take it to the extreme all the time. As I, uh, as anyone gets older and I like to not think about getting older as I need to be more careful, but as injuries do occur, I'd like to take a little bit, I'm more calculated approach to what risks I'm going to do. And I'm sure there'll be that of all time with a certain confidence in, in how many years I've been doing a certain sport, how I feel on whether it be a board, a paramotor or underwater. Then I'm going to go ahead and push it. I'm going to send it and I'm going to be a show off in my own brain to show, prove to myself that I can still do something like that or try something new. But I think overall calculated risk and doing extreme stuff is probably the most important thing in terms of like the sports that I part- partake in. So I can continue doing it. So if I die, what's the point? Like I don't want to, I'll, I'll die doing what I love, but I want to, I want to make it past like 30, 35. Right. So does everybody out there. Yeah. yeah. So do you feel like you have to do some of these extreme stuff because yeah. you're putting a camera on. It's an addiction. But what about the camera? Does it always feel like, hey, I got... I, I go flying. I do a lot of like my dives without cameras. Like I enjoy doing it for like, like you know, you'll have soul surfers, people that just surf and they like to be by themselves out at, at dark and just surf by themselves. I'll go flying by myself, um, no camera, no nothing. And I, I, and I just enjoy being up there, like just earmuffs, like, and just, just taking it in, like no pressure on oh i gotta film this i gotta make sure i get this angle oh let me make sure i get my thumbnail let me make sure i eat all this while i'm in the air or i land here talk like i don't it sucks mm-hmm. it's cool for content it's cool to make memories and be like oh i made a mission i like making missions out of things but at the same time i do like enjoying just my sports as the way they are like snowboarding i like to just go cruise listen to some music and enjoy it good just vibe i felt like there was a point where i was trying to grow a youtube channel and i felt like i had to have something to do with every flight and I knew my flying buddies hated me doing that. It sucked. Freaking fly. And so now I rarely ever even put a camera on my helmet and be like, oh, I wear a camera just in case anything happens. I don't even do that. I just love flying. I love feeling like I'm just here for me. This yeah. is my movie. I'm not entertaining anybody. That's to me is happiness. That's why people, I think, well, why I should fly. I shouldn't say why people should fly. I shouldn't speak for anybody else. So as far as, okay, we did self-training. Did you ever get trained at Aviator? You know. Okay, because I think at one point you had said you were planning on doing that. I was planning on it, and then I found out Trevor was going to start doing training. So have you? Tra- so you haven't trained with Trevor yet? Tuesday, uh, Tuesday next week. So, yeah, so I think some people I've talked to have said, I thought he did this training. No, he got hurt on a skateboard accident. And that's on my shoulder, yeah, pretty bad. And so now Tuesday you're going out to Utah for three weeks, you told Yeah. I mean, with him. So what are you going to be learning out there? Does he, has he told we're you? We're doing advanced. Okay, so you're going to be doing some macro. And, uh, oh yeah, for sure. And then, um, I'm going to probably get with Carl for, uh, one of the weeks, Carl Weisberth. 
Um, anyways, he's a, he's he's one of the world's best speed flyers. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, I want to I want to hop on that and try that for like three or four days and on a little bit more safe wing, and I'm gonna do a hike and fly with him a couple of days. What are your goals? And that I don't know yet. I'm not. I haven't educated myself. Uh, I have to watch a couple of videos on the sport a little bit and educate myself a little bit more. But um, definitely not to the level these guys are doing barrel rolls like half a foot off the ground next to mountain ridges. Like I'm good. Like I- I'll definitely ride the ridges. Like that's for sure my goal. Yeah. But the hike and fly, the element of like hiking four thousand feet, beating your body up just to enjoy the flight is special. Like I think that's going to be more rewarding than just hopping my paramotor, taking off and be like, oh, I had a successful launch. Cool. It's like, dude, it's not hard. What's like, what are you getting? You're not getting rewarded for us. Like it's too easy. Sometimes I think paramotoring is a little bit too rewarding and there's a not, there's, there's too much gratification too quickly. Like, mm. It's, it's too instant. You pull up to a parking lot, you strap your gear on, you hope it works correctly and you get up in the air and you're flying. You have an engine out what to do. You land in a field. I think like a hike and fly is a little bit cooler, but obviously me and you, we don't live in an environment where we could do that. It sucks. You're more than 20 years younger than me. I don't need the rice anymore. That's not for me. I love like, like my, when my body feels good, like my, my brain is so cognitively focused, like, like the better, the higher my endurance level, the better I function in everything in life. And that's not a joke. Cause I, I didn't do endurance for a long time. I felt good cause I was training, but overall, like my focus and my mental energy, my everything is a lot lower and I could definitely, and it has nothing to do with each. It literally has to do with how much endurance you have. And I, I admire that about you. I, you, how long has it been since you've had fast food or anything besides water? Uh, 12 years coming up on 13. That's incredible. And I hope you keep doing that. I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm 49 years old and I you know, was about 12, 13 years ago. I did a sub four hour marathon. Okay. I was in the best shape of my life. I was a swim captain in high school. I was an athlete. Like, well, I'd like to still think I am. I'm, you know, uh-huh. but it's like, things start breaking down, you know, the joints in your elbows start hurting. And when you're lifting weights and it's like, I can't, I don't know how much, what I do to get into workarounds. You, you train, you train to work with what you have and you continue to make those weak areas better. So you can continue doing what you want to do to stay in the shape you need to stay in. All right. I'll be hiring you for help. When you train with Trevor, are you looking to do barrel rolls? Are you looking to do the sat? Looking to do what? I'm looking at new barrel stats, wingovers, um, half loops. Like I want, I want, I want to have the most control. I'm gonna be on a speech at 22. And yesterday, actually, it was cool. I, I flew the smallest wing of my life yesterday. What's what? What was it? I flew a 60 meter drift air, oh, no. and I flew uh, a Da Vinci disco. Are you? Yeah, I flung both of them. I now are you? You're way overloaded for a 205 pounds. You're like I'm flying. I'm 160, and I'm flying a 18 meter drift. So for you on a 16. Yeah, I was on a 16. It was so cool. Sure, it was. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, I ran, I ran like hell, whatever. Um, Like, landing was, I just slid it out for like 100 feet. The Vinci, I don't like the toggles, how it's like you have to like hold it like this. And if you're, if you're not perfectly centered, it's, you're, you're grabbing your tip or you're grabbing your, your main. Um, the drift there, I loved. That was sick. It still breaks. I didn't mess with the trim at all. It was trimmed pretty much neutral or a little bit past neutral, but that thing rolls like crazy, and so does the Vinci. I mean, I've never flown an acro wing like that, and it, it's cool. My drifty are so much easier to do a barrel roll on than my 22 Spider. Yeah, and I'm on a 22 Speedster, and that's how I fly, and it's it, it requires at least one this way, and then I can go ahead. Like, and when you started flying, if this is something going back to why you having a trainer is because you were flying something that you were so underloaded. The 30, 30 meter velocity core. Yeah, that's way too big. Wait, some guy up in Michigan sold it to me. Uh, 
up in like Rochester Hills or Sterling Heights or something like that. And he was 275 pounds with a Blackhawk 190 talent. It was a piece of crap. Yeah. Paid five grand for the whole first setup. I'm like, oh, I got a paramotor. Cool. I got enough money to get this. Let's go. Let's go fly. Let's go kite first. And let's go fly. So that's one of the things that I enjoy by having trainers. I didn't just train with Kurt. I trained with some much, much better people. But being able to have those relationships where someone can give me the advice, this is what glider is best for you for your weight range or the inevitable things are breaking down. I got to have someone I can call and say, okay, look, my motor's doing this. What do you recommend I do? So you really didn't have anybody for that. Motors. I mean, I've, I've worked on cars since I was like 14. So like these carbureted and all this, this stuff's easy. Like, well, now I'm going to start calling you instead. It's very easy. There's two strokes are so simple. Yeah. There's so many things that can be wrong. Joe Schmo's like me who never touched a car or anything like that. We don't know anything. I could teach you in 15 minutes on how it all works and you'd probably grasp probably 70% of it in that 15 minutes. Well, in the last month and a half, I dissected my motor. I did, I replaced everything and now I feel like I know. And I think that's- You do. We do. Because you opened it up. And for someone that's never really worked on this, that's the best thing. One of the best things that could happen to you is something go wrong where you're ripping everything apart and learning what this piece does. What what is what is the uh, what does this piece do? Why is this happening? And to really learn about how a two stroke works, it makes you respect the machine a lot more too. And when you're flying them in, also I know you got more stuff to get to, but when you're flying the machine and something's about to go wrong on the motor. You can hear, you can hear like it's running lean or it's a little rich. Like I could hear the sputtering. I can hear it at an idle and you know, you land, you adjust it, you go back up, you're good. Yeah. Not, oh, I got to call my buddy. Hey man, it's making this weird sound. Like, I don't know what's going on. I had the weirdest thing. The last, so I flew uh, a couple weeks ago with a guy that just, this was the last video I did, uh, just made his first, he flew with me. It was his first flight out of training with leading edge uh, PPG. And then the next flight I flew with Chris Holbert. You know who Chris Holbert is? I've heard of the name, yeah. Solber Predator Paramotor. And I flew with him and my motor stalled out. Like now, luckily, I was able to restart it every time. But I was over over like facing a lake. And I'm like, oh crap. I was able to get it restarted every time and booked it, kicked the speed bar, which I didn't ask you about on the drift here. Did you kick speed bar? No. I don't I've I've probably used speed bar four times in my life. Dude, wait till you kick speed bar on the drift air, man. You just take off. The drift air though that I flew last night, like full throttle, I was probably ten foot forward for every three foot up, three two foot up. Yeah. Like I mean I had no climb rate with how much I weighed. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, that was the wrong one, but I'm sure you're gonna get a drift air the right size at some point now. Or uh warp two. Warp two. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, they're phenomenal. Or uh, if you ever want, you can try my A team over together. So I was flying with Chris Holbert. I kept having these motor outs. And uh, couldn't figure it out because I would land. Yeah. The carburetor starts up great, runs up great, take off, and it dies and it come off throttle. I'm like, what the hell? Go to idle, it dies. Went out yesterday. I'm like, I've made some adjustments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing right. It's just the weirdest thing. I, and, it, you know, spark plug looks decent. And uh, I, I run it up. Motor's great. Goes to idle. Perfect. I go fly. Go to idle. It dies. Happened to me twice yesterday. Finally, I'm like, screw it. Let's reboot the system, change the spark plug. Everything runs great. I'm like, you changed the idle at all or no? No. <laughs> the idle, my idle's all the way yet, but that's a whole other story. And you know how the best way to track a spark plug? You do full throttle application. The second you let off that throttle, kill the motor. Because you need to know what it's running like at a full throttle. Like people let it idle all the way down, then they check the spark plug. It's like, no, you have carbon built now because it just sat at idle for however long. Great point. I don't think people think about that. That's a great point. All right. I want to talk about some of the flying you have done, mister. Let's do it. Because you're my nominee for the first person to fly over Mount Everest into the North Pole. Are you up for it? Dude, I'm, I'm going to fly Antarctica. 
<laughs> there you go. No, like I'm flying. So like, I guess I'll just let it out on this podcast, whatever. Like I'm flying from Key West to Cuba. I'm flying from Fort Myers or Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas. Um, well, then obviously everyone's done the Iceland flight. Um, and yeah, I would love to Mount Everest if I can get a support crew big enough. I mean, think about it. Like I did, I did a 17,500 foot flight on a carbureted engine with no support team. Mm-hmm. That's it. I just woke up, looked at the weather and I'm like, we're going to, we're just doing it. Like, let's go I have a brand new motor with 0.5 hours on it. Let's go. Yeah. Now. And that was it. Imagine like someone, like five people will give me some support, some oxygen, some warm clothes and a wing that's efficient enough to climb up to like. 30,000 foot, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to send it. I will break, I have no issue breaking the world record. I'm completely comfortable doing it. So I had the fortune of interviewing Giles Fowler. You know who Giles is? Uh, Bear Grylls or whatever? No. Giles is out in UK. Okay. And uh, in fact, I think what I'm going to do, so this, I'm going to go ahead and put Giles' episode from our Paramount Nation this coming Thursday, August 17th, because that was a great episode. So Giles, is out in the UK. He flies a couple different machines. He took a paramotor up to twenty-two thousand feet, which I, I I don't remember if he said that was the world record or second best. But he he ran out of gas. Bear Grylls unfortunately has the record. I think. Okay. He was dressed in. I mean, started on the ground, sweating, full, yeah, everything with oxygen. I think he had two oxygens, and just ran it until the motor ran out of gas. So yeah, it can be done. It can be. Oh, done. for sure. I think thirty thousand feet can be done. Seventeen thousand. That's. It's nothing. It really is. How boring was that? I mean, I've gone up just over a mile. I'm like, this sucks. This is boring. To me, it's boring. The trip up there wasn't like anything out of the world. I just felt bad for my motor. I'm like, this poor motor, man. This poor motor. I. All right. So, uh, all right. I'm going to go through a couple things that, yeah. that these are some events that happened, that things that people have told me and said, can you ask them about this? And maybe I'm seeing it wrong. But there's one thing in, in my mind. I watched the video, uh, and you said in the video, I flew out to the Bermuda Triangle and back, right? Okay. And it was like, what, 12 miles there and back? Yeah, 11 to 13 miles, something like that. I know you fly with reserve. I know you fly with water, uh, with uh, uh, floats. With floats. But what happens if there's a motor out out there? How are you going to tell anybody where you're at? My spot X. Good answer. Didn't think about it. My Garmin, like five hundred dollar little beacon thing that'll get Coast Guard to me in like twenty minutes. Really? Okay. All right. Good answer. I didn't think about that. I'm just. I kept thinking he's nuts. He's nuts. I mean, my gears sucked. Whatever. I'll float. Like I'm not gonna die. I'm not scared of sharks. Like eventually, like that thing will work. Like it's charged. It's ready to go. And if that one doesn't work, I have a backup. <laughs> I have two. <laughs> Great answer. I mean, I didn't think of that. All right. You ready? You ready? Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Let's start with this. What have you done that you regret? Or it's that, yeah, that was. There's some midday flying I've done in Florida. I'll tell you that, Lodge. <laughs> There's some thermals that have scared me where I climbed up like 800 foot in like seven seconds, it felt like. That's scary. I felt G's in my spine because of how fast I was climbing. I was like, I should not be out right now. Um, so, I mean, some midday flying. Um, uh, things that I regret. Taking off with too much weight in a tight space. That one time where I ran into that fence full speed. That That hurt. Okay. I, I, I cleared it, but I messed up my foot and I wing went. I mean, I don't know. Uh, re, I don't really have any regrets. Just I think a little bit. I mean, if I have space, if I have more space, why not use the whole space kind of thing? Do you? So I guess this is the big thing. And I think this is where it'll all connect together. Why do people feel this way about watching these videos of doing things that make them uncomfortable? Well, it's because of the public perception. Okay. So when I'm flying, you know, I've been kicked out of three LZs. Not, 
I haven't personally been kicked out of three LZs, but I've lost, I've had three LZs that I've used that are no longer ours. You know, one of them was at an airport, a privately owned airport, but the family also owned right next to it was skydiving school. And some people were flying in the area of the skydiving school. We got ruined. You ruined your opportunity. I have one that's less than a half a mile from my house. It was just mine, only me. And the sister of the guy that was letting me fly there, she said, no, no, I don't want you flying here. This is my aunt's property. Because why? Because she sees someone flying. She knows nothing about how safe it can be or how safe I fly. Yeah. You're that I'm going to fall, break a, break a leg. So there's that easy perception. And then uh, my third LZ was just the people next door. We were playing at a sod farm and the people next door are like, oh, it's too noisy. Tells the owner of the sod farm and the sod farm says, oh, you can't fly here anymore. So people are so ridiculously sensitive about nothing can go wrong. Let's just pretend that we blend in with the wall and no one should see us so we can fly. And, and so the less... The less uh, uh, publicity that's brought to us, the better off. Well, look, it's going to happen, okay? The simplest things are going to happen. For the most part, for people that come up to me after I land, they say, oh, dude, that was awesome. Yeah, for the majority. And they want to hear all about it, you know? For me flying a football into a stadium, people got great joy out of that, okay? But some people will just have the perception that this is dangerous, this shouldn't be done. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. For anybody that says, oh, that guy's breaking all these FAR 103s, let me let me be very clear with my opinion on that. If someone says to me, I've never broken an FAR 103, well, there's, there's one of two things. One, they don't know FAR 103. Or two, they're delusional. Because everybody breaks it. Some way, some form. I fly over highways. You know, I fly over at no less than 500 feet. I fly over highways. I'm sure I may have flown over a building. You know what? It's going to happen. I try not to, but it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's everybody does it. I don't care who you are. Even Jeff Coyne will say that he has done. He's run the the, the PPG Bible. Okay. So it's going to happen. All right. Now, with that being said, here's where we go. On the flight, 17,000 feet, you're right off the coast of Miami and in the path of the approach to Miami International Airport. True or not true? It said 17,000 feet. That flight that you went up to 17,000 feet. I was, in, I was in Ohio. <laughs> oh, you were in Ohio? You weren't in Miami. No. When were you doing that in Ohio? Medina. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just outside of the, the ring for Cleveland. Okay. So were you in the flight path of Cleveland? No. <laughs> I looked by their flight path. I know exactly where I was. All right. See, this is what I'm saying. Perception. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You don't know. You're looking at a video. Video. What reference do you have? You don't have my app. You don't see where I'm at on the app, coordinate wise. There was a video I was watching you flying over water, and I'm like, you know what? I can't tell if he's 500 feet offshore or a mile offshore. It's just yeah. Shit. So there's flying low over port of Miami. Yeah. This isn't a video. <laughs> you got to speak. So what? So was Oh, it what about it? Legal. That is a video. Yeah, legal, illegal. That that that's legal. Flying over the port of Miami. Flying down in between the port, the cruise ship port of Miami is not illegal. Okay. So to broaden this, I mean, the FAA and me talked about seven of the videos because I ended up getting fined for a lot of my videos. Some 
We've had seven videos that were in question. We brought it all the way down to two of the videos. That was one of them, but that one got dismissed because everything that we had talked about in the video where we flew and we talked about it was not illegal. Uh, the biggest one was the flying over the uh, Skyway Bridge and the 17,500 foot video left and right cloud clearance of having 500 or more feet. Hmm. Those are the only two that I actually got in trouble for. How much have you been fined up to? Uh, like 13 grand. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like the cost of paramotor training and uh, new uh, equipment. Yeah. I'm just kidding. That's all right. That 17,500 foot video made up for all of it. We're good. All right. There you go. Um, will the Egmont Key and Passage Key and landed in a wildlife refuge. Yep, I talked to uh, Brian, I believe his name is. Yeah, I'm supposed to be 2,000 foot above um, uh, nature or um, uh, a bird preserve, so you can call it, or bird sanctuary. Um, Passage Key, I actually fly camped on that island, and I mean, that was probably the roughest flying experience of my life. That prob- that was prob- that was the hardest, yeah. Um, that morning I woke up, the winds were 36 miles an hour. Oh my God. And I'm on an island with no true way out. Reception's fine. But I was fully committed to making it off by myself, and I had 60 pounds of camping gear. Um, I ended up contacting the guy. I'm like, hey, is it okay if I post this video? I just realized I saw the signs that I slept on Pastor Key, and I'm not even supposed to be here. And uh, he's like, yeah, don't post that. It's like a $25,000 fine. I'm like, okay, great. So he, I, I told him, and he's like, just don't post the video, and you're good. I'm like, okay, so I didn't. <clears throat> but yeah, that was the hardest. So you asked me about like things I regret. I don't regret that. I wish I would have paid attention to what the weather was looking like in the morning. It was a lot less... And it grew 15 more mile an hour wind. I couldn't control that, but that was wild, dude. I'm going to say that right now. That was, I always didn't speak about it because I didn't post it, but that was the scariest experience. Well, worst case scenario, you just hop in the water, hit the button, and the Coast Guard comes pick you up. I didn't have it that time because I was only half a mile offshore. I was not even, I was a quarter mile from land. Oh my gosh. So like Anna Marie Island's right there. You could see, you could see me out there. Like boats would have came out by noon eventually. And like, if I needed a ride, I could have got it. But like, but did you know going into that, you couldn't land there? No, I did not. Okay. I did not know that. Has that changed your planning before doing this so that you know if I'm going to do this, this everything about this is going to be legal or in a position where no one's going to question me? Legal to my knowledge, yeah. Legal to my knowledge. I like it. <laughs> All right. Given there's not permission because I don't know who to ask for permission from. True. Okay. Recently, I landed at a beach, uh, had a meal, then took off directly over people on the beach. I literally, no, see, that's, that's dumb. So this is perspective again, right? So yes, there's people standing on the beach, blah, 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 blah. I had had probably, I don't know, maybe 15 people come up to me, 20 people come to me, ask about it. And as they had the conversation with me, this is all off camera. I tell them, Hey guys, I'm going to rip right out through here. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to be flying right through here. Don't worry. This is where I'm taking off. You guys have an issue with that. Granted, I don't, the rules don't state if you have consent from crowded area that you can go ahead and do this, but I let them know what I was doing. They made way. And yes, I flew over their tents and over their boats, but they all knew what I was doing. They, and I and I knew, like, I mean, granted, my motor failed. I could have, I would have gone in the water. Like, I'm not going to hit anyone. And we had this big discussion with the FAA. This we went, we went back and forth on this one. It's like when I'm flying down South Beach and we're flying over the beach for 10, 15 miles from Fort Lauderdale, or 20 miles from Fort Lauderdale, like South Beach, and I'm flying over that little grass patch where the sidewalk is and where the beach is. People are on the beach. They're crossing through the little uh, the grassy patch area. I'm at like some of them 10 foot, some of them at 100 foot. And the FAA is like, well, what happens if your engine goes out? You're just going to fall on someone. I'm like, you guys not grass that we don't just fall out of the air. Like once our engine dies, like I get you guys, we don't have certified air. I'll get inside after, but 
we can land. I could choose to go to the water. I could choose to go into a, like I can go anywhere. I don't have to land on any one. I could put myself in harm's way, but no one else. Right. And that's something they needed to grasp. So we actually talked about in the FAs, I'm going to have another conversation with them in about four months about possibly changing something where we are actually allowed for certain circumstances to fly over buildings and people just like planes are at 500 feet. Really? Because I told them like, like our glide ratio at 500 feet, I don't really care what wing you're on. You're going to be able to glide at least 500 to a thousand feet somewhere with the motor off. Like you're going to get out of harm's way for anyone. You might get injured, but everyone else will be safe. And I think it'd be cool to be able to fly over people. I mean, granted, even if it was a thousand feet, I don't even care. That that would be cool in it, if it itself. I mean, how sweet would it be to fly over the a city if you had special permission and you had your, your gear inspected, but that's where it comes in where you're paramotor does not have a certificate of airworthiness. It is not inspected by an anti mechanic before you go flying. What could break and fall off the paramotor while you're over top of people? Granted, I, that, I mean, I hear boxes that were falling off, but maybe yours has. You never know. I mean, so yeah, like yeah, that, that's, that's just another conversation, but I think there's things in the works that are going to allow us to actually, my actions are, might add value to the sport in the terms where I had a real discussion with the FAA for three hours on a Zoom call. And we were like buddies talking, not like, oh, this is what you got to like, I, I get the money aside, like I had to pay a fine. But the conversation was so beneficial that I think there's a lot greater things coming down the road for paramoting versus more things getting regulated or something of that sort. Like they don't understand it that much. And that's why it's such a gray area. I, I, I'm so glad you hear that. And that's refreshing because for five years I've heard, oh, we're going to get regulated every day. We haven't gotten regulated. Mm -hmm. I believe we ever will. That's people being scared. Like... Yeah. I agree. Regulated, you need a license. People are still going to fly without a license. Who's going to enforce the rules? Right. I got a funny story. So that that flight that I was telling you about, that I I actually did contact the FAA. I said I'm going to be flying into this stadium at this high school to we're doing a game ball delivery to a veteran, which was awesome. Asked my favorite thing I've done, and I'm going to be flying. I'm not going to be flying over the highway at a low altitude. There is a I think it was 20 or 50 feet of grass between the highway and the back of the stadium. Okay, so I had that airway and then I'm going to make and I showed them exactly this is the flight plan and I followed it to a T. Okay, so I landed and I'm walking off and everybody's like, that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, go team, go team. And uh, cop comes up to me, goes, hey, that was awesome. I said, thanks. He goes, but we got a complaint on you. I said, fast. What was the complaint? He said, well, something I'm, I'm carrying all my gear. I've got my motor on my back. I think my buddy Dave was carrying my wing. Okay, he goes. Somebody uh, already called into the ODOT, Ohio Department of Transportation, and they said that uh, you were flying over the highway and one of your wheels fell off and almost hit their car. Huh. And I looked at the officer and he looked at me and I said, let me ask you a question. Do you see any wheels on this? I'm a foot launcher. And he started laughing. He goes, that's perception. That's what pe everybody's got to complain about. One of your wheels fell off. I love it. My wheel fell off. There's no wheels on this. I don't have a. You know what they complain about, man? So they said that they assume that there's wheels on. It. I'm like, yeah, his wheel fell off. I don't know. They just make up something and get the case going. You know how it goes. There's always going to be something to complain about. What's the next big thing for you? I mean, you talked about going to where? Cuba. Cuba. So that's just a borders thing and a customs thing on uh, getting logistics down on that because obviously U.S. and Cuba aren't the best right now. But you got to land and give your passport. Yeah. Okay. Did you? I heard this. It was one of your first flights. Did you fly over the Canadian border? Yeah. All right. So when I say things that you may not have done that, that you regret, maybe not regret, but I don't regret that. I mean, it's like driving my boat in the Canadian waters and not dropping anchor. Me flying in a Canadian airspace in a in a 
in a not restricted airspace. I don't see that as an issue at all. Wherever Mike Vard or whatever his name is up there, uh, bald dude wears sunglasses on his uh, Facebook profile pictures. Love him to death. We one wheeled in Detroit on the one wheel groups and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, don't ever cross the line, man. I'm like, yeah, and what? Like, I'm, I'm flying in and out of a, an imaginary line made up by a government. That's like, you can't track. I'm, I don't have ADSB. I don't have anything. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, that was like fifth flight or fourth flight. Like, I didn't know, but I didn't see any harm. Yes. Nothing. Um, as if you had a boat that could cause a, cause a war between the two countries. But I turned left. I mean, Canada's a nice country. We're going to get in the wharf because I landed in the water. I mean, I boat over there and I go free diving over there and I don't call it in. Like, you don't have to. It's like, you go back to the 60s and 70s. No one did that. Days, it's, oh, let me see your passport. Let me see your customs. Do you have a gun on you? Do you have weed? Like, that would be an awesome headline. Paramotor pilot causes World War Three between U.S. and Canada. If I cause that, I'm just going to go into hiding. I, I think my purpose is done. So Rogue would be like, I told you so. Yeah. How do you like the paramotoring community at this point? And what, where's your take on it? You went to Bad Apples. How was that? Um, It was good. I met a lot of people. A lot of people came up to talk to me. Um, Good experience. Um, no, it was overall good. It was it, it was a vibe. I enjoyed one little round, hanging out with people, talking, talking paramotors. I, I have so many hobbies that it's hard for me to get really deep into one. Where I'm like, oh my god, I'm so passionate about this, this new headset, this new spark plug that came out, or this you know this new gas tank or this new wing. Like, yeah, it's cool to me, but it's not like I'm so stoked because it's not the only thing I do. Like everyone that's there, it's like e-bikes or electric vehicle and fly and i fly and i live to fly it's like i have so many hobbies and so many like adventurous things that it's like i'm passionate about paramoting but that's like 25 percent of my life which is a pretty big portion because i do do it a lot but i have so many other things i get to do man but bad obstacles in a whole was sick like i think it was a cool experience yeah it's it's interesting because three years ago this was me paramoting i almost forgot who my family was that's all that mattered to me yeah, yeah it sucked it it's so sucked it but now it's like you know now it's like, this is just one aspect of me. That's how I want it to be. Because I do want to take up scuba diving eventually. I'm well, dude, it's so easy. Like, when you come down here, I got four sets of gear. We can go whenever you want. Yeah, I got stuff for your daughter. I have two women's things and two men's. Like, you okay. guys are welcome. I'll show you the springs. We'll drive up there. We'll show you, I'll show you all of it. You'll experience it. I want to do that. I'm going to get a boat eventually. You know? You can, come off. You can just take mine whenever you want, dude. Or there's that. <laughs> I don't. I don't care. If my stuff is for anybody else to use that I like, trust and like. Like you're more than welcome to any of my stuff. Dude. Yeah, I hope everybody that's listening to this has a different opinion of you. Um, they're all gonna make. They're all gonna shadow their own opinion. That's that is what it is. It is. This, what it is. this is me as like just a conversation, hanging out, chilling, not trying to make a video. This is just relaxing. There's a guy that uh, I won't mention his name. I uh, a few years ago, I was. I hope he's listening to this, and he calls me out on it. But two years ago, when I was doing the Bad Apples flying, we had, it was from last year, we had so much stuff that we gave away. Yeah. Raffles, things like that. And one of the guys donated, uh, 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 I won't say what it is because they'll give away who it is, but donated something. And he was so hurt that I didn't mention, I, I mentioned him, I mentioned the company and said, thank you, but I didn't go overboard in mentioning it. And yeah. So he wrote me this huge long rant on Facebook Messenger saying, you're nothing but a salesman and that. Da, 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 that Mike, dude, this is for resurgence PPG. This is for veterans. And yeah. You're worried about your own perception? How, how dare you? Selfish, dude. It's just selfish. So everybody has their opinions. Look, if you don't like me, I can't blame you. I don't <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> I'm not out here to be liked by everyone. I'm going to be liked by a few and I can care less. I'm still going to live my life the way I want. What contributions do you want to have? Is there a contribution or a market? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's the biggest thing on making um, my goals, obviously, make 
a boatload of money, but I want to be able to like go to other countries and create schools, create homes. Like I'm not giving to a fund. I'm going to create my own fund to get back and build for people, whether it's in this country or other countries. Obviously this country gets plenty of cuts. Like you can either make it in this country or not. You have plenty of opportunity. If you can't make it in the US, you can't make it anywhere. Um, so go to the countries and I want to give back to a lot of, I, that's for sure. That's, that's on my list. And then kids that are in need in like, Africa or like Ukraine, like stuff like that. I I, I feel those families and stuff of that sort. So whatever I can do to get back. But you're talking about like just regular schools, not like those are just like regular schools. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. Cool. So that's that's my goal. That's awesome, man. YouTube channel. I do want to go back to that. So the YouTube channel did start off as bodybuilding. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it did. Okay. I mean, it's developed into, I saw cars on there and selling planes and then not the paramotors. And which, am I right on all that? Correct? Yeah. Okay. So where do you want this YouTube channel? How many subscribers right now? I uh, like a little 80. Yeah, that's what I thought. Some, I thought it said 78 to 8. Yeah. So where do you want this channel to be? Is it going to be one specific thing going forward or is it just- Oh no, I don't know what the niche needs to be. I love flying and I do love making content because it does work, but I think- um I'm going to dabble in a couple of other things to go ahead and get the following a little bit bigger. And at the end of all of it, like, um, I, and I know as things get like our wrestling is going to be a huge thing. It's going to love. I'll probably do that for like a month. And I also thought about doing something like this, like trying a new sport every single week and kind of like making like a mini documentary on it, like see how many sports I can do in like a year's time. So it'd be like what, 50 something, 52 weeks in a year. So like 52 sports over the course of a year. Love and it. see how fast I can progress at each every sport. I don't think anyone's ever done that. That's awesome. Like how good you can get at rock climbing, how good you can do it. Like you go right from rock climbing, how good I can get at golf, how good I can get at tennis, how good I can get at like any of these sports. And then I'll pay someone to come and film me, put a sick edit together, and I'm gonna try to do sport every single week for a full year. It used to be so easy to make a, a thumbnail that was uh, clickbait. Now yeah. algorithms are ridiculous, which I think was part of, like a, a lot of people have given up. I and mean, you. If four or five years ago, there were so many more YouTubers making content and paramotoring, and now it's just a couple, or at least a couple that I see, at least. I don't watch too much. I'll do paramotoring no matter what. Like, I'll keep making paramotor content because I think I just love doing it. I enjoy the sport, and I think there's a limit I want to push it to, but I'm not out here to do the best paramotor product by any means. No, that's just not my goal. Like, I'm not going to be the best support. I respect some of the, like, Theo DeBlanc out there. I respect to him. Jud- like, my eyes, Judson, Trevor, incredible freaking pilots. Um, Tucker's a great pilot too. He's not on T- Judson and Trevor's level just because of the amount they fly on a daily freaking basis, in my opinion, um, and seeing it in firsthand. Um, but I just want to enjoy the sport, go to fly-ins every here and there, and go see amazing, beautiful places while flying. Want to go to different countries and stuff of that sort. Yeah, a couple other uh, people out there too. Some of them are good friends of mine. Uh, Kyle Mooney, Leah Catullo. Ryan Glocka is amazing to watch. So a lot of, a lot of great people to watch out there if you want uh, to really be entertained or learn from. But uh, listen, this has been a, a great interview. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Chucky. Check out his YouTube channel. He's got what, about 80,000 subscribers right now. So that's growing and a lot more adventures to see. And and uh, just the understanding of each other. So I think the good lesson to come out of this. And remember, you know, there's different perspectives on everything. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, Thank you again, Chucky Wright. All right, guys, have a wonderful, blessed week.
Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests, and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.